1 through 16, page 683 in your view Bibles. But um, before we pray, um, I was as moved by Benjamin here um, and something that uh, Barbie and I had listened to. Well, it resonated with me. I don't know if it resonated with her as much, but um, at the, the seminar we were at, they talked about the desperate need, okay, listen to me on this, the desperate need for the death of the social saint. The desperate need for the death of the social saint. What is the social saint? The social saint is the person that fights with his wife on the way to church, right? Uh, All kinds of venom and bitterness and all this stuff comes out. But when you get into the parking lot, what happens? All of a sudden, it's St. TJ, you know? The, The social saint is the person that comes in the doors, and when people say, how are you doing? They say, I'm fine, I'm great, all things are all things are good, right? The, it's kind of that, that hard place we find ourselves in as uh, Christians, as sons and daughters, because we all know we're all messed up. I mean, seriously, we know it. Anybody here got issues? I got issues. Anybody here got baggage? I got baggage. Anybody here got wounds and hurts? Anybody here got bitterness? Anybody here got selfishness? You know? I mean, we all know this. We know this on a Sunday school Bible level. We're all messed up. But there's something that keeps us from getting healed of the mess up. There's something that keeps us from getting our issues taken care of. There's something that keeps us from getting rid of all the baggage. And you know what that is? That's the social saint. That's the social saint. And, and I think, now this is just TJ. Okay, this is welcome to the introduction. I think somehow in our beautiful tradition and heritage of, uh, of Christianity, somehow we adopted this idea that my faith, my personal faith, which it is a personal faith, I will stand before the Lord, me, me and myself and I, right? Okay, it's, it's me standing before the Lord. But we forgot that we work our faith out in fear and trembling in a community community. And I think somewhere along the lines, we got this idea that I can work out my faith with fear and trembling all by myself. An extreme example would be the person that says, I don't need to go to church because uh, I can go out and fish on Sunday morning and the lake is my church. Okay. You know, right. I mean, that'd be an extreme, but anybody heard that one? You know, you know, oh, that golf course preacher, that's a beautiful golf course. It's out among nature, and I'm just, you know, that's my church right there. No, no, it's not. We work our faith out in community. The passage that was read from Hebrews chapter 10, uh, just after it, I should have included it, actually, in retrospect of what I'm talking about right now. But in retrospect, it says, let us not put off meeting together. But instead, get to get to get together, encourage one another, because these are dark days we live in, and we need each other. Now, sometimes we think that the we need each other is just for when we're needing struggles and need an encouraging word. What about when you need someone like Benjamin came up and he said, "I need someone that's going to stand with me when I confess." 
when I confess. I need someone that's not going to stand in condemnation or stand in, you know, sort of a, oh, don't worry about it, no big deal, don't, no. You need to confess, get it out, and then you need someone to say, brother, I'm going to pray for you and I'm going to declare the truth that you have confessed with your mouth and if your heart is in repentance with that confession, then guess what? There's healing in the name of Jesus. That's called James, by the way, James chapter 5. That beautiful passage on the prayer of a righteous man and woman is powerful and effective. Anybody wish that were true? Hmm? Hmm? Anyone believe that's true? The prayer of a righteous man and woman is powerful and effective. Well, that is in the context of community, and it's in the context of confession. But we've lost that. And so each one of us is sort of a lone wolf in our personal faith. I applaud our brother here for what he did. I mean, it was like, man, that's exactly the point. And I get it. It's easy to come up with things that are small But folks, we are in a community so that we can bear one another's burdens when things are big. Because those are the things that cripple our faith. Those are the things that that hinder our prayers. And, And here's the thing that really cooks my noodle. It's unnecessary. It's unnecessary. We don't need to bear the burden. The only thing that keeps us that keeps us from confessing and receiving healing. Again, confession, healing, confession, healing. What keeps us? Shame. Shame. That social saint, if they only knew, right? So I guess fear would get thrown in it as well. Guess what? Both of those things, not from the Father. Fear, Shame, not of Jesus, period. He hates them. They keep his children hurting. They keep his children in perpetual woundedness. They keep his bride, the church, powerless and ineffective in the culture. Fear and shame. Oh, could you picture it? Folks, isn't it the longing of our heart to have a place where I can come and say, here's my struggles. The ugly ones, the ones you don't talk about in church, but they're real. Here's how I have failed. And you have brothers and sisters representing Christ saying, come to the table. Come to the table. The death of the social saint. Look, I know we're not even close to there. I get it. <laughs> I get it, right? I still remember the last time, and I, I will use her as an example, because, but uh, this was like eight years ago. Nancy Kingery come up here and came up and confessed an anger problem. You know, she said, I need, I need, she confessed it. There was no condemnation. There was no judgment. Or if there was, that's on you. <laughs> Seriously. I, mean, I, I want to get to a place in my heart where I can confess my sins and if you want to judge me, meh. Because, because I don't want anything to get in between me and Jesus. Between me and Holy Spirit and that grace that flows. Anybody here, let me ask you, and you don't, no, no hands because I get it, sh- shame and fear. Huh, anybody here ever been and felt 
forgiven of something really bad. Something really bad. I realize that's a broad spectrum of definition. How did that feel when you were forgiven? How did that feel? Did you feel the freedom? Let me say, folks, if you've not felt that, if you have not experienced the cross of Jesus, because that's what I'm talking about here, experiencing the cross of Jesus, which goes beyond just feeling, okay? It is a spiritual depth. If you have not experienced the cross of Jesus, what we were made for. Maturity is the ability to bring your needs to Jesus. And it never ends. It's a process all the time. So maturity doesn't mean that you've stopped sinning and you're a saint and everyone, you know, whatever, right? That's not spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity is when you do fall you run to Jesus, okay? And, and hear me on this because I don't want you to lose sight of this. Running to Jesus means running to his body. Running to Jesus means running to his body. There is something about confessing with our mouths to our brothers and our sisters. There's something powerful there. And I'm a good Protestant. Anybody here a good Protestant? You know, I love my Catholic cousins, I do, seriously. Loving them more and more every day. Oh, my goodness, love them more and more every day. But I'm a good Protestant, and we don't have confession, right? Because I confess my sins to the Lord. Mm. Sorry, but that completely ignores James, that passage. And it ignores the cleansing power of grace and forgiveness. Okay, let's pray and we'll start the sermon. Father, um, Father, I do celebrate where you are leading, where you are leading your bride and your tribe here, God. Uh, we could not do it on our own. We would not do it on our own. God, we would not say that we want to move into places of exposure and honesty. But God, I thank you that you have reminded us that beyond shame and fear is healing and power. God, thank you for that. Lord, help us, help us as this small little tribe here to move into places of genuine and real, powerful community with one another. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters that are even in this very room wrestling with big things. I pray you connect them with someone that they will take that first step of trust with and say, can I talk to you? I need prayer. And then let confession come and then forgiveness to follow. God, make us a people that know and understand this. We know how to confess our sin, and we know how to receive it when someone confesses to us. God, teach us these things, Holy Spirit, as we limp along in life. Father, teach us what it is to be pure in heart. We pray this in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Let's get to uh, Matthew chapter 5 now. Matthew chapter 5. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. You know, of all the ones in here in the Beatitudes, this one I think is the one that is the hardest or was always the hardest for me to swallow. Uh, blessed are the poor in spirit. Yeah, I can, I can get there. It, it, it takes some effort, but when I really look at uh, who I am behind closed doors, when I look at the things that I've done in my past, uh, when I look at my narcissism and my selfishness, when I look at my brokenness, yeah, I feel pretty poor in spirit. Okay, so, well, good check. Not bad. I get the kingdom of heaven. Sweet. Okay, so next one. Blessed are those who mourn. Okay, yeah, yeah. I've, I've felt the weight of that, and I've mourned over it, and, and I've mourned with my brothers and sisters that mourn. I, I, I think I have a kind of a, a sensitive heart, um, I, I get pretty wrecked pretty easily. I cried more this past week than I have in, in months, and I cry a lot. So, uh, blessed are those who mourn. Okay, sweet. I'll get comforted. Okay. Uh, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Meek, uh, you know, um, so you have the ability, uh, the power, but it's under control. I'm still working on that one. Um, you know, I tend to abuse my power and control. Um, if you don't have power and control, people tend to manipulate, okay? There's that there. So, uh, but meekness is the opposite of that. Meekness is um, sort of willing surrender to, uh, to what the Lord's plans are. Meekness, I'm working on that one, but I can, I can work that out, okay? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, uh, for they will be filled. Uh, I do that. I wish I was better. Anybody wish they were better? Just a little bit better, Lord. Maybe I wish they were a little bit better. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. I feel that. So I'll be filled. Very good. Uh, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. I'm getting, you know, not to boast <laughs> on what an awesome guy I am. But, uh, uh, you know, 
My, my uh, theory on that is uh, I really take the words of Jesus literal, that um, how I forgive others is how I'm going to be forgiven. So between you and me, I want to be as generous as possible. I want to have as little judgment as possible. I want to be as merciful as possible because, hey, it might sound selfish, but I need mercy. So blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. I'm working on that, Lord, but, but help me there. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. We'll get to that in a little bit. But I try and, anybody try and keep the peace? Who here is a peacemaker in the family? Anybody have family peacemakers? Okay, God bless you. You get shot first. That's always how it works. Blessed are the peacemakers. They get shot first, right? Um, no, I'm serious. You know, it's a, it's a hard road. It's difficult. Uh, I realized that after uh, years of ministry that uh, being a peacemaker in my own strength was an enormous mistake, that being a peacemaker means Jesus, okay? Being a peacemaker does not mean lack of conflict. It means sometimes you embrace conflict and you get through it. Uh, these are hard lessons that I've learned, things I'm still receiving consequence for in my life, um, but God is good. Um, but blessed are the peacemakers, for they should be called the sons and daughters of God. Very good. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Well, I don't know. Um, I'm certainly not persecuted the way our brothers and sisters across the globe are, that's for sure. Goodness gracious, folks. When you pull into the driveway at the Lexington Church of Christ, a word of praise should be on your lips for the fact that we can come here, gather in the name of Jesus, we can worship, and then we can leave and, and we're good, right? I mean, we should be lifting up our brothers and sisters because that is not true for all of them. Bless them. But I'm not too bad on that one either, I suppose. It's, it's that pure in heart in verse 8 that trips me up because I know I'm not. Anyone? Anyone here claim to be pure in heart? So I kind of look at uh, what they get. They get to see God. Well, I'll get to see him when I'm dead. Right? I remember hearing this past year, uh, someone said, you know, if you're waiting till death for your healing, if you're struggling with something and you say, you know, if I can just make it to the finish line without denying Christ, if I'm, if I'm looking... If I'm looking for death for my healing, then Jesus isn't my Savior. Death is. Does that make sense to you? It's kind of a hard truth. It kind of sinks in me. And I'm, I'm not talking about physical healing here. I'm talking about the spiritual wounding that we take. And if you're saying, oh, I'll carry that wound, I'll carry this habit, this sin, I'll carry this bitterness, I'll carry this regret, I'll carry this shame, this fear, this worry, whatever it is, you say, I'm working on it, Lord, I love you, Jesus, I know, you know I can't give it up, I'm trying so hard, but you know, Lord, I know that someday in heaven I'll be okay. Someday in heaven, no more struggles. Someday in heaven, someday in heaven, Guess what, TJ? Death is your savior, not Jesus. Because Jesus doesn't say someday, ever. Jesus says salvation has come to this house today. Jesus says work today. 
while it is light. Jesus says healing is today, not, not someday. Well, someday I'll see God. Because God, I'm not pure in heart. So I struggle with this. I say, well, is Jesus putting up a, a standard that I can't achieve to? You know, could he just lower the bar? The, the, the word pure, you know, it, it almost lends itself to this idea of clean. Pure, clean. Uh, without blemish without spot. The sacrificial lambs that you were to take to temple and present were supposed to be pure and clean. Um, In the book of Revelation, we're going to be dressed in white robes, white linen robes. Guess what they're going to be? Pure and clean, spotless. Christ wants to present his church as pure and clean and spotless bride for the bridegroom, right? So there's this idea. The problem is, in church, we think that the way to get pure and clean is what? Work harder, work smarter. You know, um, on a, again, you're going to get pieces and filters of this uh, stuff that we went to this week, but they said something uh, that was very telling. And, um, well, let's see, do I? Yeah, so here's what they said. This is really good. You ready for this? Abstinence is not freedom. Abstinence is not freedom. Now, I realize when we hear the word abstinence, we think sex, right? But think of abstinence of sin, period. Abstinence is not freedom. What do you mean by that, TJ? What I mean by that is this. Just not killing someone is not good enough. Jesus says it's not enough to not commit murder, right? That's not enough. It's not enough to not commit adultery. Abstinence is not freedom. So it's not enough to just simply not kill my neighbor who's driving me nuts, dog poops on the lawn all the time, never cleans it up. I always seem to step in it, right? So, but I I haven't killed him. When I was a a boy growing up, I heard men in the church say this. It's horribly misogynistic. It really is. We have to really work on that. I'm I'm really convicted about misogyny uh, in the church, folks. So get ready. Get your seatbelts on. But, uh, you know, they they would say, women can't live with them. No, no, no. Can't live with them, can't shoot them. So... Uh-huh, yeah, yeah, laugh it, because that's what you do, ha, 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 that's funny. It is funny, I guess, but what's it really saying, you know? I, I mean, it's, you know, now I, it's not enough to simply not shoot them, is it? We're supposed to love them as our sisters. I mean, Forget man and woman, forget boyfriend, girlfriend. We're to love them as God's daughters. Remember garden thing? You know, Adam, Adam had the rib taken out from him and then God formed Eve and then what did God do? God presented Eve to Adam. I mean, who was walking Eve down the aisle? Who's Eve's daddy? <laughs> 
is not a father-in-law you want to mess with. It's not enough to simply don't. Preacher, I don't cuss. Good. What about the other words? What about what's in your heart? Abstinence is not freedom. And we, we did not experience the sacrifice of Christ. We don't take communion every Sunday to simply stop. Good enough in the kingdom of heaven is not good enough at all. Jesus doesn't settle. It is for what that we have been set free. It's for freedom that we have been set free. God did not say, I want to raise up a church that's simply going to obey rules and do these and don't do that. He wanted to raise up sons and daughters made in his image that would experience freedom, that would know freedom. Folks, it is okay to bring our needs to the cross. Those things that you're wrestling with that you feel guilty about, God wants to meet your needs. God loves to meet our needs. I, I get this as a broken dad. When, when my daughters come to me and they have a need, I, I love to give them good gifts. It makes me feel good to give my children good gifts. I love their need. I remember when my kids were even babies. I, I changed a lot of diapers. I loved to change diapers. Oh my gosh, the smell was ungodly sometimes. But, <laughs> but, but I'm telling you, I, as I'm changing it, because what, what does a baby do to let you know that it needs its diaper changed? It cries. What does a baby do when you're changing its diaper? It stops what? Crying. I don't know about your kids, but mine would oftentimes smile. Because, yeah, they're getting their diaper changed. I mean, I want that off me too, right? But is this, is this brain surgery? Is this out there in left field? You get it? If I, as a broken dad, love the needs of my children that I can meet, I would rescue my kids from everything if I could. Everything. I would meet every need they have if I could. How much more your heavenly father wants to meet your needs. He doesn't say, TJ, here's a set of rules. Now go out and do it yourself. That's, that's the whole thing behind pure in heart. That's the whole thing. John 13 is the whole thing. On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus has his disciples there with him. John 13 says, and then he showed them the full extent of his love. All the teaching that Jesus had done up until that point was good. All the affection that he gave his disciples up until that point was good. But in John 13, Jesus shows his disciples in this one act the full extent of his love. What did he do? He got up. He disrobed. 
He put a towel around his waist, got a water basin and water, and he started to wash his disciples' feet. He started to clean their dirtiest parts. Now, I get it. Peter does exactly what we would have done in this moment. Because, hey, I don't want a servant God. I want a God that kicks butt and takes names. I want a strong God, right? And he is. But a strong God cannot save me. Strong God can judge me, and rightfully so. A God of justice can judge me, and rightfully so. But a God that is strong alone and only just cannot save me, cannot wash me. So what's Petey do? He, uh, you can call him Petey, it's okay. Anyway, uh, what's he do? No, Lord, you shall never wash my feet. And then what's the response? If I do not do this, you can have no part of me. If you do not allow me to touch the dirtiest, filthiest, manure-covered parts of you, if you do not allow me to clean you in your need, you can have no part of me and I of you. It's that thing about God that cooks our noodles, the things that he cannot do, which I get. We say there's nothing God cannot do, but then you have, I mean, we're made in his image, so we're almost, we're, we're just smart enough to be stupid. That's my opinion of, of, of mankind. I mean, wow, I think I just wrote the whole book on mankind, just smart enough to be stupid, you know. God can do anything. Well, can he make a rock so heavy he can't lift it? Well, that's stupid, you know? Can God not exist? That's stupid. Can God force someone to love him? That goes against his nature. That's not love. And so can God wash every sinner clean? Yes, if they let him. If they let him. You know, we, what, do we, what do we say um, to people that are curious about Jesus? You know, you, you, you can have the gospel. You can have forgiveness. You can have Jesus. Just, just, you know, invite him into your heart and be baptized. And then follow the rules. <laughs> Deserves a snort. But go back to the first part. Invite him into your heart. I mean, baptism's easy, right? Because I, I let somebody take me up there and I let someone uh, 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 lower me back uh, or even forward. doesn't matter how you get down. You just get down, okay? Sorry, there's no, it's not magic here, you know, sorry. Uh, you get down, you come up. You're dead, you're alive. You're buried, you're raised. It's pretty simple, cut and dry stuff. And that's physical. That makes sense to me, physical brain. But invite Jesus into your heart. We kind of 
let that one go. Like, what does that even mean? Invite him into your heart. We don't do a whole lot there. We don't explain a whole lot there. And I believe it's because we don't know how to do it ourselves. Because inviting Jesus into your heart means, Lord, come into my mess. Come into my Jerry Springer. Come in and wash my feet. Lord, cleanse me. But then we are so human sometimes. Jesus comes, he's getting ready to wash our feet. And all of a sudden, we're experts on foot washing. Uh, Lord, Lord, let me tell you how to do it. Let me tell you how I want you to wash my feet. Uh, do you have a, a manicure set, by the way, while you're down there, Lord? And I got this really sweet polish, you know, at Justice. And, you know, I want some... Anybody here tell Jesus how to do his job? Come on. That's, that's kind of where he says, unless I do this to you. So in other words, TJ, if I say you need to confess, then guess what, folks? There's no fudging it. There's no getting around it. There's no, well, I'll confess my sins to you, Lord. <laughs> you kind of know if you've done the right thing when you, well, I'll tell you how you know. You know when you, when you get the second part of that. So, so being pure in heart is not about what you, like it's not an act, you have to achieve sinlessness or you have to achieve perfection or you have to flit these things. Being pure in heart means Jesus makes you pure in heart. He washes you with the water and you are pure. Again, that's why spiritual maturity is not you have all the answers. It's not you have everything together. Your life could be a train wreck and you can be spiritually mature if you know that whatever need you have, you run to the cross. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are those that Jesus has washed clean. Because why? They will see God. Here is the cry since the Tower of Babel. When man built a tower up to the heavens with the idea, I'm going to go up to God and pull him down. Where'd you go, God? I mean, the, the architects of Babel, they had it right. They really did. They looked around and they said, this came from somewhere. There's a creator. And yet, where is he? He's not talking to us. We don't see him. Anybody here wish you could just get a good vision, like Paul on the road to Damascus, or something like that? Come on, God, give me a little lick here, something. Ironically enough, this is not the cry of just the sons and the daughters. This is the cry of the human heart. Some of you will remember, are old enough to remember Alice Cooper. Anybody? Rock star, shock rock, Alice Cooper? He became a Christian, his eyes were open. He's still a shock rock guy. I love that about him. Christ doesn't want to transform you into an upper middle class white evangelical. Christ wants to transform you into his son and his daughter. So you like leather and Harleys? God wants to ride that leather and Harley with you. Amen, Dave? Thank you. <laughs> Alice Cooper said that all of rock and roll is a search for God. 
All of it is a search for God. Even the really bad, nasty stuff is just the lament and the cry of the human heart searching for God, right? I've got time here. This is a song called Innuendo by Queen. Any Queen fans? Come on. If there's a God or any kind of justice under the sky, if there's a point, if there's a reason to live or to die, if there's an answer to the questions we feel bound to ask, I like the rawness of that. Show yourself. Destroy our fears. Release your mask. Isn't that the cry? Or, or how about any, any uh, poison fans out there? Dave, this is your sermon, buddy. If there's a Lord above, give me something to believe in. Oh, Lord, arise. I, th- this is poison. I mean, as far as 80s hair bands go, they are deplorable. <laughs> they really are. I mean, only Motley Crue in my mind is less than poison. You know, as far as just absolute, straight shot down to hell depravity. Lord, save Motley Crue. Anyway. But here's poison, and they're saying something we cry in church. Oh, Lord, arise. And then, I, I'm sorry, I had to throw in the next line because it's to me so sweet. Because, man, I'm right there with you, boys. Sometimes I wish to God I didn't know now the things I didn't know then. Do you get that? Do you get the little twist? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. The cry of the human spirit is, I want to see God. Here's the thing. He does not hide himself. He does not hide himself, but he does not show himself on our terms either. He shows himself where he is most needed. God does not need to show himself to the world. Hey, I'm God. There you guys are. Look at me. Let me write a nice message on the moon. So long. Thanks for all the fish. Little Douglas Adams there. You know, God's last message to mankind in the Douglas Adams books. Sorry for the inconvenience. Little British humor. Wow, tough crowd. God does not show himself where he is not needed. God does reveal himself where he is needed. So when you are made pure in heart by the wounds of Jesus Christ, you see God. And you know it. You know it. You know it. You know it. God's not worried so much about our minds. I know this because I have brothers and sisters whose minds are not what they used to be, and it breaks my heart, but I still believe God loves them because he's a good, good father. So one of the things in my own stupidity that I get from that is God's not so much concerned about the mind. He'll take care of that. And he's not so much concerned about the physical body. He'll take care of that. But God is desperately focused on our spirits. And so when we let Christ wash us clean through his wounding, through his wounds, when we come to Jesus and we say, I can't take it anymore, God, and I get it. 
Folks, I get it. I, I, m- one of my prayers of the last four years is God make me desperate because I have come to realize that it is only when I'm desperate that I actually come to Jesus. So God, make us desperate. Make me desperate because I want to see you. I don't want to sing about you and read about you and pretend and play church about you. I want to see you. Folks, that's what the world's dying for. People that have seen God. It's dying for us. The creation itself is groaning for the sons and daughters to be revealed. And I used to think that was for us to be sanctified and taken up. It's a last day thing, right? Romans 8's a last day thing. I don't think that necessarily anymore. I think creation is groaning for me to be revealed as a son of God in creation today. Groaning for it. So when I am, I am revealed as his son, when I'm washed pure and my heart is pure before him, when I have seen God and I go outside, the flowers go, that's awesome, man. Seeing God's not a one-shot deal either. Anybody here have one sin they need forgiven and then they're good? Anybody have one part of them that they need washed clean and then they're good? One thing, just gets one thing settled, I'm done, Lord. Not me. If you are, God bless you, but not me. And so I get to meet God lots of times. I get to see him a lot. Because I get to see him a lot. Jesus says in John 15, Abide in me. Abide in me. Baptism, after baptism, it's not rules. It's abide in me. Abide in me. I am the vine. You're the branches. You're not going to bear fruit otherwise. So abide in me. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. One of the things that I've been convicted, maybe a little too strong of a word, but maybe excited about, uh, my eyes opened a little bit, is this invitation time. Um, You know, it used to be when I first came here, it was a very formal invitation. We would stand, sing, because we're Church of Christ, first, second, and third verse, or first, second, and last, that's what it is. One, two, four. I don't know, what, what is it about three? We cannot sing three. But I would, everyone stand, and we're going to give an invitation. If you want to come around Jesus, and come on down, first, second, fourth, and then we sing the doxology, and we go. And it's good. It's good. Nothing wrong with that. But I realized that it was, I was just saying the same thing every Sunday, every Sunday. And then I realized that people that wanted to give their life to the Lord, they normally didn't come down the aisle like they used to. And it was good. There was a season and a time. It's seasons and times, folks. That's all it is. It's not a condemnation on the past. Celebrate the past. Thank you for the past. But it's seasons and times. And nowadays, people don't do that. They don't want to come down the aisle necessarily. They want to talk to the preacher and find out what they're getting into. Hey, I applaud that. It's a Jesus thing. Don't put your hand to the plow and then back out. Find out what you're getting into. Okay, preacher, I think I'm good. All right, come down during prayer time. We'll get you dunked. It's all good, right? 
But then I'm like, but man, we got so much time on the back end that we're doing this invitation thing. Well, then I went to the opposite extreme where, uh, and you know this because you've been with me the last couple years, we get to the end and it's like, okay, let's pray. And then, I mean, Porky Pig had a better outro. That's all, folks, right? There's got to be something better. So I'll ask you to bear with me as we're trying to find something better. Because I believe there is a time where at the end, or maybe the beginning, not of the service, but of the rest of the day, where, where you have worship and you have communion with the Lord and, and then maybe the Holy Spirit speaks to you and you say, I just need a little more and I want to do something. And there's something physical about our God where getting up and finding someone to pray with, getting up and coming before the cross of Jesus. There's something about that. So I'll ask your indulgence, even as I'm getting ready to say, that's all folks, and say, I don't know where we're going, and maybe that's a good thing, because if I did, it might be of me and not of him. I don't know where we're going. I know that when I stand before you, I stand before you as a wounded healer, as a wounded preacher. I got, I got nothing but Jesus. But I do know enough to know that's all we need. So let's pray. Let's figure things out together. Let's come to the cross. Father God, I don't know, Lord. Life is so... But God, you're in it. You're in all of the parts, and we believe that, Lord. Father, I pray for the needs that are in this tribe, starting with my own. God, the needs that I have, I'm a needy guy. And God, I'm, I'm sick of being ashamed of my needs. I'm sick of covering up my needs. I'm sick of acting like my needs don't exist or that they don't influence me. I'm sick of pretending like my needs are lesser than the needs of others. God, I have needs, and I need you. Father, thank you for being the one who delights in meeting my needs. You delight in me, Lord. You delight in me. Father, I just pray you would lead us, my brothers and my sisters here together. Lead us wherever you're taking us. God, reveal us as your sons and your daughters, please. Kill the social saint, Lord so that you can raise up your image. Hmm. Give us humility. Give us Jesus. That's what we need. Give us Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you for my brothers and sisters here. We bless your name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you, folks.